I guess. No, I, I think somebody asked me how my week went, and I don't know, it just seemed like it was just yesterday it was Sabbath, and it's Sabbath again. As you get older, I guess it goes faster. Then again, maybe if I get up at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning and, and not at 8 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I'd have more time. But I guess that's what life is. It's a joy, though, to be here living on this property because... Uh, I find it very relaxing at times, except when there's things to do, which is a lot of times there's things to do. So Then I keep asking myself, uh, how far am I willing to go? And so I bring that out here. How, how much are you willing to give up for our Creator, for Christ, for the Father? Um, do we put some kind of a line out there in the sand and saying, I'm going to go, I'll go this far, but then um, I'm just not going to go any farther. Uh, it's just too much. It's, it's easy to do that. And it's not the first time something like this comes up. You say, well, how far will you go? What will you put in front of Christ? In Matthew 4, verse 18 through 22, Matthew 4:18 through 22, Christ was walking by the sea, saw two, uh, saw the two brothers Simon and uh, called Peter and Andrew his brother casting their nets in the sea and, as fishermen, and he said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." So here's a time when Christ on this earth as a man, and we, and said to these two men. Come and follow me. And um, straightway they left their nets and followed him. Again, he found James and John, sons of Zebedee. And he, they were mending nets and he immediately left, they left their nets when he said, Come, come with me. On the other hand, you know, here was... Four men that Christ said, come and go with me. They gave up everything. And I look at the people out here in Anatoth and, uh, and those that are still in the church scattered everywhere, those that are keeping God's law, those that are striving to do that. Uh, but still, do we put a line there in Luke 9, Luke chapter 9. Here's the other side. And this happens pretty much in the church. It's happened, I've, I witnessed these things. Luke 9, verse 59. And he said to another, follow me. So here, he'd already talked to some time past to those that became disciples and said, follow me. And they just went. They gave up everything. Now here's a case where he talked to somebody else and said, follow me. But this person said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. So here he had a criteria. He would go if there was, uh, he was able to do something else first. And Emmanuel said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but go you and preach God's kingdom. Preach the good news. 
And another one said to him, Lord, I'll follow you. How many of us have said that? Yes, I'll follow you. Well, I look here at Anatoth and I see a number of people who read the scriptures that said, come out of her, you my people, and come to the fields. And I've seen these people say, you're right. I'm going to come and do that. So here's a person that said, I'm going to follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell which are at home. But I put a line in the sand and he said, I'm going to, I can only do it if I can get you know, relieved of the people that I know. And Emmanuel said to him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom. It's easy for us, isn't it? We've given up a lot. We've said, Yes, Lord, we're going to come and do it. But do we put a line in the sand, even today, that I will do this much? I'll give so much, but there comes a point where I can't or won't do any more. It's hard sometimes. It's because we're human, we have, can justify our mistakes. It's easy to justify who you are and what you do. But if we look at Emmanuel and see what he did. He didn't put a line in the sand, did he? Philippians 2, verse 5 and through 8. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And here Paul wrote to the church, to us, and says, Let this mind be in you which was in Emmanuel, who being in the form of God. He was God. Or being in the form of God, he was a man, remember? Genesis 1.26 says, God created human beings in his form. So here he being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was a man, a human being, but he was in the form of God, wasn't he? He looked like God. We look like God. This is the mind that Christ had, but made himself of no reputation, he didn't say, hey, I am the Son of God, and I'm better than the rest of the people. No, he didn't take that stand so much as so many people do, but took upon himself the form of a servant. He even stooped down and washed the feet of his disciples, didn't he? He was a servant. So he was a human being, Brought on this earth for a purpose, and he became a servant. Gave up the Godhead authority, Godhead ability, the creative ability, and became a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. And we had a sermon just, what, three weeks ago? Pointed out how Christ was a human being. He was a man. He ate. He slept. He walked. He talked. Like all human beings, he was a man, a human being. Made of no reputation, became a servant. And being found in the fashion of a human, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to death of the stake. He didn't have a line. He didn't say, I'm going to go this far 
But when it gets to this point, I can't go any farther. He was willing to go all the way. And it's hard sometimes, isn't it? For you and for me. We get pressured. We make mistakes. You know, the sermon last week. Uh, Do we heed? Or do we put a line out there and say, well, that's good to a point. Or do we say, I've got to go all the way. I've got to make all those changes. But we're human. So we justify the way we live. We justify our mistakes. In John, 1 John 2.6, we're told, He that abides in Emmanuel ought himself also to walk as Christ walked. So we're called. We made a decision, some of us, many years, ten years ago, eleven years ago, some less, to go this way. Some of us made that decision fifty years ago. But do we still find a place in our life that says, I'm just not going to go that far. That's just asking too much. Is it? Christ was beat till he could see his bones. You know, we can go back and read uh, Psalms 22. Read Isaiah 53. Christ was beaten till his bones were showing. And he had the power, could have called on angels for help, but he went all the way. He didn't find an excuse to not do that. So he said, we then, if we are wanting to be like Christ, we have to walk that same walk and do the same things. He said he was a servant. Do we take to that on ourselves? Or do we say, wait a minute, I'm an elder. I'm a deacon. I have this big job. I'm an engineer or I'm a, the best ditch digger in the world. I can cook the best. Do we draw a line? I don't know those routes. No, we see Christ never even condemned those people that beat him and cursed him and lied about him. He didn't even bring a railing accusation. That's what we have to do. Christ humbled himself. Are we humble as Christ is? Ephesians 5 verse 2 tells us, And walk in love. And we teach and talk and speak on and preach love. And I see love out here. I see the love of the people out here. Not in the world you don't see it. But here we are to walk in love as Christ also loved us. So we set the standard. The kind of love that we have has to be the same kind of love that he had. And has given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet savor. That's how much he humbled himself. When he walked the earth, there wasn't 
one converted person on the planet. And yet, he gave his life for those that had lived prior to him, those lived at that time, and those that had lived all the way through this time. And it says that he humbled himself. Christ didn't hold anything back. So we need to look in our life. What am I holding back? Am I holding something back? 1 Peter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. The same kind of mind. I'm not holding back on anything that God has given to me. Or the the trial or the temptations or the directions that God wants us to go in. Arm yourself with this mind. For he has suffered in the, the flesh and has ceased from sin. Do we sin? Sin is something that is so always around us. And it's tough, isn't it, to be a human and justify our actions? It's easy to overlook where you do something. Maybe you see somebody else make a mistake and you can puff up yourself and say, well, at least I don't do that. I'm not going to act that way. You know, they're, they're weak. But we can easily justify our own mistakes, our own sins, and point the finger at somebody else. I mean, how many times have we listened to the news and heard up in Congress, like a bunch of chickens, they find one person. They're all wrong. They all sin. They all make a lot of mistakes, but they can find one and they can jump on him and pick all the feathers off of him. They can find fault with other people, but not with me. You know, I'm not going to stand up and say, hey, these are my sins. But each one of us have sins, don't we? Maybe we don't realize it. Maybe we don't look at it as sin. You know, in Isaiah 52, we are told to depart. Depart, go out from hence. Touch no unclean thing. Sometimes, like the sermon last week, we sometimes want to get real close to sin, don't we? And yet God put that sermon out and told us that we not to touch the unclean things. Go you out from the midst of her, be you clean that bear the vessels of God. If we bear God's Spirit in us, then don't we have to stay away from those things that are unclean? We sure do. God expects that from us. That's why we have these sermons that they keep coming back. We sometimes think, well, I'm the only one that sermons made to. Well, 
I can say I'm the only one sermons are made to. And you can say you're the only one that God made the sermon to. And the next person on your right, your left, behind you. You know, God knows our hearts. And there's something in every sermon, if we want to you know, accept it, that says, you make this mistake. But God is merciful, isn't He? And loving and kind and just to forgive those mistakes. But I don't think the sermons are basically pointed out to one individual person. They're pointed out to the church, and God knows the heart of everyone. You know, Jeremiah seventeen nine: the heart of men is deceitful and desperately wicked. But in 10, it says, God tries the reins of your heart. So he knows who you are. And Satan knows you too. And so sometimes he puts something in your path, but not in mine, because I might be strong in one point and weak in another. And Satan certainly isn't going to come after our weak, our strong points. He's going to help to find the weak points. But we are told and commanded by God to stay away from the unclean things. Because we bear His Spirit, combined with our spirit. And so we have to make the changes in our life. God doesn't like sin. It bothers Him when we sin. It bothered Him so much, He allowed Christ to come to this earth, become a physical, flesh and blood human being, to teach us and show us and set the examples, keep the mind of God, and then pay for our shortcomings. In Jeremiah 51, it says, My people, go you out of the midst of her and deliver you every man his soul. Come out. Come away from those unclean things to deliver your soul from the what? The fierce anger of the eternal. God can get pretty angry. And, uh, you know, if we're not willing to make changes, we're going to find that we're going to have to make those changes anyway. You know, he says that he corrects every child he loves. And a good parent will correct their children. If you really love them, you will point them in the right direction. You know, if you have a child going to wander out in the street in front of a car, you bring him back. If you have to grab him by the, the back of the neck and bring him back, well, you want him to live. You want him to change. You want him to do things right. And that's what our Father does. And 1 John 3, 4 says, Whosoever commits... Sin transgresses the law. So he says there's a law. He's the lawgiver. But it goes beyond just the Ten Commandments. It's everything that comes from the mouth of God. And we're told to live by every word. So we've got a whole book here full of words of God. And if we transgress those things, then we break the law. In 
James 4.17. Wherefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, it's sin. So, we're taught, we're trained, we're shown that this is the right way to go. And you know it's right. And you know this is the way we're supposed to do it. And you don't do that. If you know to do it right and you don't do it, then what do you do? You sin. So it can be that each one of us has something in our life that's sin. You know, in Romans 3.23, says uh, the wages of sin is death. Oh, that's Romans 6.23, wages of sin are death. So a sin brings on death. But each one of us, if we know to do what's right and we don't do it, it says you're sinning. Romans 3.9 What then? Shall we are better than they? Are we better than the rest of the world? The rest of the church? Better than somebody else sitting here? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jew and Gentile that they are all under sin. Every person is under sin. There's three basic words in the New Testament for sin. 266 um, in Strong's. 264 and 361. All of them meaning missing the mark. Missing the mark in thought. Missing the mark in feelings. Missing the mark in the way we talk to each other or talk to other people. And in our actions. So there are several ways that we can sin, isn't there? But it's all meaning the same thing. Coming short of the mark of excellence. A mark that is what God expects out of us. So, I can come back and say again, what, what line do we draw? I will not commit adultery, but I will fudge on my speech to somebody else. I won't steal, but I'll hate my children or dislike my parents. Or, or maybe I'll set some kind of an idol up. My car, my house, um, myself, my job, my abilities. You know, we can create all kinds of idols. And they all are sin. They all come short of that mark. They all fall short of the mark that God set. Remember, the same mind, we're told, that Christ had is what we have to have. So we can look in there and see, hey, you know, Gordon brought out Matthew 25. That was the mind of Christ, wasn't it? If you love me, then you'll love me. My brothers and sisters, if you 
don't love a brother or sister or you find fault with them, Christ is saying you find fault with me. That becomes sin then, doesn't it? Because now you judge God. And if you judge God and you judge the law, and you can't judge the law. Only the lawgiver can do that. It's easy for us to see the faults of somebody else. We do that all the time, don't we? They can't function and do this as fast as me. They can't read as good as I do. They don't have the education I have. They can't build something as good as I can build. But remember what the old Indian said. You don't condemn somebody else until you walk a mile in their moccasins. So we don't know each other's minds the way we know our own. And we don't even know that great. But we can judge each other. We do it. We say we don't. I don't judge somebody else. But when we get out there and say, well, if that was me building this building, I wouldn't have done it that way. I'd do it better than that. Or if I was digging the ditch, I could make it straighter. Um, if I was baking a cake, I'd have it the best cake made. You know, they have these cupcake wars on, uh, uh, on the TV. And they compete to who can make the best cupcake. Well, they're judged basically on how they make the cupcakes. And one person, one cook will say, I do it better than they do it, so I ought to be the winner. And that happens on everything. So we do find fault with each other, don't we? We do make those mistakes. And it becomes sin when we judge somebody else's mistakes. Because I'm, I'm not going to go out there and say, I can repair all the computers. I don't even want to tackle that, but I know there's somebody on this property that can do that. Got better education for it than I do. I tell you, a lot of people that can build buildings better than me, and I just assume they build them. And they can speak better, and they can read better, and they can cook better. Fact is, when it gets to cooking, I let my wife do that. I like to eat, and she likes to cook, so... She does a good job, and I eat her food, and that's great. And I, I don't want to go up there and tell her, you're not as good as me. I can do it better. How often do we overlook somebody else's mistakes? You know, James tells us, I know he says there, if you see somebody make a mistake, and you point them in the right direction, you don't condemn them. You point them in the right direction, and if they change, then you've covered a sin, haven't you? So we can point people in the right way. We can inspire them to do things the right way. But to come up to them and say, look, you're a rotten sinner, and you've got to make this change or you're going to die, and I'm telling you I know from experience because I'm better than you. No. 
No. Maybe their background hasn't allowed them to grasp it in the depth that you have. So we have to be very careful when we try to point out somebody else's mistake. Show them by the word of God that this is a better way. And that what it says in the millennium? People are going to start going the wrong way and someone are going to say, uh-uh, that's the wrong way. This is the way. This is the way to go. And you show them the way to go and not condemnation. 1 John 1, verse 8. Sometimes we think, I'm above making these mistakes. And yet, John was inspired to write through God's Spirit. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We deceive ourselves to think that I'm not making mistakes. Well, I understand in my life, when I get out of bed in the morning, I've already started (laughs) making mistakes. I can't go out there and condemn my wife because I run into the door or I try to eat and uh, I'm not equipped to eat at that point in time. It's not her fault. So I fall short and each and every person falls short. If we confess our sins, you know, that's repentance. We go to God and say, Boy, did I fall short today. Like David, he knew three times a day. He got up in the morning, he said, hey, I made a mistake. At noontime, he can look back in the first four, five, six hours, whatever, and said, man, these mistakes are made when he goes to bed that night. Before he goes to sleep, he says, boy, I really need help, Father. We have a whole psalm where it points out, he said, against you and you only have I done these Sins. Can we approach God that way? Hey, Father, I sinned against you. Yeah, I might have punched my brother out. I might have tripped him. I might have hid something from him. I might have called him all kinds of bad names. But in reality, because the law that Christ gave us in Matthew 5 and 6, and he says that it's in the mind, remember... It's in my thoughts, in my speech, in my actions. I sinned against the Father. Because it was His law that says that. If we confess our sins to the Father, He, our Father, and Christ is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So He's telling us on a daily basis, we make mistakes. Can we go to the Father and say, as David, forgive me a sinner. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, sin then becomes unrighteous. When we're told through the sermon that you've got to watch what you're seeing on the TV or video games, or what you're hearing, or the way you're being pulled 
in the wrong direction, you know, that's unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, then we make Christ a liar and his words are not in us. So, it's pretty outstanding to me that if I say I don't fall short somehow, then I'm calling Christ a liar. And I'll tell you, you won't stand long, especially when the fire is lit and you're thrown in a lake of fire. James 1, verse 14. But every man, when he is tempted... Now here, again, James is inspired to write, when you are tempted, when he is, he is tempted, when he's drawn away of his own lusts and enticement, we break the, all commandments. You know, if you lust, you've broken all ten commandments. If you break one, you break them all. And lust, the tenth commandment, and the first commandment are the same, aren't they? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You will have no other gods before me, he said. And then he said, if you lust, you want something that's not yours and you go so hard for it, you're going to fall short of the mark. And we are tempted when we're drawn away of our own lusts and enticements. And then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And that's tough, you know. You can, you can want something so bad and keep it in your mind and your thoughts and you keep after it and after it day and night and after and after. Eventually, you're going to obtain that somehow, some way. And when you do that, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, what's the end of it? Death, unless we repent and make a change. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Here, God speaking to all people, and especially to the church, because we understand, as Mr. Armstrong pointed out, as we pointed out here time and time and time again, this is to the church. This is to you and to me. It's to us. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. Therefore, verse 1, you are inexcusable, O man, whosoever you are, that judge. For wherewith you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you that judge do the same things. We're not willing to admit that, though. We're not willing to admit. We see people make mistakes. Are we willing to admit? We make mistakes too. We fall short. I know what... I can see things happening out here and I can say, if that was me, I wouldn't have done it that way. Well, the other person isn't me. Hasn't got the background I have. And by far, I haven't got the background of all of you. I can remember telling Barbara and Charlotte and uh, Mary Cagle one time back in Canab in 
the home we lived in there, how that, because it had been pointed out that mostly the men have all the knowledge and the women don't. You know, they're just there. And I pointed out to them, most of the women that I know in the church have a better understanding, at least in this little group and in the church as general, have a better understanding than some of the ministry. Because I've seen some of their actions. But the women have good understandings. So sometimes we judge people and not knowing what's in their mind. And sometimes our minds are limited. Sometimes some people just can't do certain things. I have a hard time remembering things. Others have a photographic memory. And I've known several people that way. They, you know, they, you can say something to them and they can give it back verbatim. Others can't. Others, you know, was it uh, my youngest daughter, youngest son, was supposed to, when he was writing, put a period at the end of a sentence in the kindergarten. They're supposed to be writing and putting a period at the end of a sentence. I mean, it's a kindergartner. Hasn't got to the understanding yet. But he told his mother, he said, it wasn't important to me. So he didn't do it. He's apt to forget something. I can remember, I could probably tell you right now, out of the maybe 150 or so B yards, I could probably tell you where they are. Because that was important. But I can't tell you some of the actions that my kids did or what I did 20 or 30 years ago. But So it depends on what's important. Is it important to you to walk like Christ? Is it important that I don't put a line in the sand and say, I'm going to go this far and that's it. I can't go any farther. Verse 2. Romans 2. But we are sure that the judgments, our judgment of God, is according to the truth against them which commits such things. So God's judgment is right, righteous. And think you, O man, that judge them which uh, do such things, does the same that you shall escape the judgment of God? Maybe we don't look at it that aspect. If we find fault with another person, we understand that God is finding fault with you on the same basis. Again, it goes back to Matthew 25. Brought out in the sermonette. Brought out in Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. With what measure you judge, the line that you've put out there for judgment is going to be brought unto you. God's not going to let you escape if you judge somebody else. Or despise you the riches of his goodness? You know, do we despise God's great gift to us and forbearance and long, you know? God forbears all of our mistakes. He sees every one of them. He understands what you're going through your mind. 
And God is long-suffering. He's waiting. He's got a time set. Sometimes we try to push time ahead some. But God's time is different than our time. And He's long-suffering. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Isn't that fantastic? That God can see the mistakes. He can see us sin. But He loves us so much that He's patient enough with us as an individual to bring us to repentance. He might correct us somewhat, whether it be a sermon or it might be some action happening in our life. He's going to correct you. But He does that. So you say, forgive me. Hey, I didn't realize I did that that way. But after the hardness and impotence heart, treasure up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. So God keeps a record. He knows what we're doing, doesn't he? He looks down at us. And He's going to give to you your just reward. So, He expects us to repent. Turn around. He gives us sermons and points us in the right way. So, what do we do? We still go back out there and try to get as close to the uh, demonic things as we can. Remember, are we not to touch the unclean things? We're supposed to be push ourselves away? I mean, that sermon was important. Do we listen? Did we put that to, to, to fact? Or do we still go out there and try to snuggle up? I can remember my oldest son one time. I said, told him not to go up there and get around the lectern, not to bump in that thing, and he got as close as he could and got his hand back there until he got himself paddled. Because he tried to get as close to it without doing it. And is that what we do? Do we try to get as close to sin as we possibly can and expect not to be burned? You know, you, if you see a red hot iron and you put your hand on it, you're going to get burned. To them who by patience, continuance, and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. As long as that's our goal (coughs) is to obey God and to be a part of what God is doing. But unto them that are contentious. Oh, so here, Paul's inspired right. So this is if you're trying to become part of eternal life, but if you are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that does evil. To the church first, and then to the rest of the world. It says Jew, spiritual Jew, and to the rest of the world. 
Are we contentious? Do we find fault with what God has told us to do? You know, Paul didn't have this book to read from. He might have had Genesis, the Old, Old Testament, but they lived and wrote what God had inspired them to write. And what we hear today is what God inspires through our pastor. Things that we've got to change. If we don't change it, then can we say we are contentious? Can we say that we're rebellious? Or uh, we want to get as close to unrighteousness as possible and yet look righteous? We can't be a one-day Christian. We have to live. And luckily on this properly, or not luck, but fortunately, or blessed are we, living on this property that um, if we make a mistake, somebody's going to be around to kind of point us in the right direction, (laughs) which is what we need. Verse 10, But glory, honor, and peace to every man that works good to the church first, and then to the church, and to the Gentiles. For there is no respecter of persons with God. So he's going to start with the church, and finish with the world. For as many as have sinned without the law shall be punished without the law, and as many as sin in the law shall be judged by the law. You know what God expects. Not only the laws, but everything that He's given to us. Everything. And I've been around. I've seen people not like a part of the Scriptures. And they'll find a Scripture that they can use to justify their actions. And we do it. Because we just don't want to admit Christ died for us. And that we are to walk and talk and act Just like Christ. That's our responsibility. He's called you. Hand-picked. And as we brought out years ago, He's going to use a small group of people. He starts small. Didn't He He start with Adam and Eve? He started with Noah and his three sons, his wife and three daughter-in-laws. He started with Emmanuel, then the twelve, then the hundred and twenty. He always starts small and builds. It's whether we want to be a part of what he's doing. And to do that, to be that part, to be the, quote, set-up crew that paves the way, that builds the first community, that shows that it can be done, that shows there's love and compassion and a willingness to say, you know, if you would do it this way, it would be much better. As opposed to saying, look, I know these things and you're wrong. That's the wrong approach. To say, this is a better way. If you would do it this way, there'd be more peace and happiness. So we have that responsibility. God's called us. He's handpicked us, put us here. Our faith and hope has to be in Him. 
You know, we ask for a wall of fire. When it's needed, it's going to be there. Maybe there's a need for a wall of fire to keep the wrong spirits out and a culvert over us to keep them from coming in. But we have to have our hearts right. We have to be willing ourselves to make those changes. And when we hear a sermon and we just don't comply, are we doing our part? Or is that line out there that says, well, you know, I understand that, but I want to do that, but I've got, you know, I want to go tell my family. I want to bury the dead. I want to fix my car. I want to do, I fix my house. I want to, I want to do something else. I'll do it, but you've got to give me some time to make those changes. For not the hearer, verse 13, of the law are justified before God. Just because you hear it doesn't say you're justified. He says, not the hearers of the law are justified before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. In other words, God expects something more than you to sit on your backside and hear. He expects you to get up, put your shoulder to the grindstone, your nose to the wheel, and keep going. And it might be tough at times, but God says He'll help you. He's not going to put on you more than you can handle. So, sometimes we say, I just can't handle this. Well, you must be able to handle it or you wouldn't be having it. You just don't want to do it. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, those things, uh, those having not the law, are a law unto themselves. So, there are some people who do the right things, moral codes, and, and they're. They're doing it by natural forces. We know the law. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their consciousness also bears witness in their thoughts. The means while according, uh, accusing, are, or also excusing one another. There I go, I get confused there. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Emmanuel Christ according to this word. So, God's going to take and look at our secret sins. You know, I do something and I might know it. And you do things that you might know, but they don't show. But God knows who you are. He knows your faults. And He's going to continue pressure until we become to the point that we can be the bride of Christ. It's easy to find faults with other people, isn't it?
it's easy to see mistakes that others make. It's hard to admit to yourself on a daily basis what you're doing wrong. And yet in 2 Corinthians 10.5 it says that we are to cast down imaginations. Put the imaginations out of our hearts and every high thing which exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And sometimes we do that. We think we are better than what God is. So we exalt ourselves against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought. That is very difficult as a human, isn't it? Every thought that we have, we have to bring into control to honor God because we sin in our thoughts. We might not look out there and say, hey, I see that you did this wrong. We might think it in our mind. I am much better. I am greater. I am smarter. I am uh, more equipped. I give more. I, I, you know. It's in our thoughts. And yet we are to get rid of all those thoughts and bring them into captivity toward Christ. The mind of Christ, remember. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ. Bringing those thoughts into captivity. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek you the eternal while he may be found. So we have an opportunity. Right now, we're told to seek God. Seek his guidance, his direction, and his wisdom. While he can be found, call upon him while he's near. And is he not near to us? Is he not given us this beautiful piece of property? This fantastic opportunity to live in a family situation under his direction. Let the wicked forsake his ways. Repentance, right? And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Again, we're told to get rid of those thoughts and let him return unto the eternal and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will be abundantly pardoned. That is one of the fantastic blessings we have, that God will pardon your mistakes. If, if you are willing to change. If you're willing to admit, I make mistakes. Where is that line that you put? How far will you go? We gave up children, grandchildren, houses, jobs, a countryside that we might have liked. We gave up all of that. But do we still have some kind of a line, some kind of a specification out there? I won't go, but so far. It's easy to find a standard that you set for other people. But do we follow the standard of God?
Christ is the line. And if we're going to be like Abraham, we're going to be seeking that city that's made without hands. We must be willing to give and give everything we have and go the direction that God put us into. Christ is the line. Christ is the standard. He gives us his word and he tells us that we need to have our minds in the same direction that his mind is. So, ask yourself, where will I go? How far will I go? How far won't I go? Christ gave up eternity. He gave up creative abilities. Became a physical, flesh and blood human being. And then, he was willing to give that up also. Not just for me or you, but for all of mankind. That's the standard. That's the line. How far are you going to go?